0: speaking about the work of Christ,
1: and as we look at it together, we won't finish it today. I'll just give you a warning ahead of time that this will be a two-part message, and so as we look at the scripture today, uh, we're going to look really primarily at verse 8, which is the command, and following that command will be really the reasons uh, for that command, but you'll see that as I read. So verse 8 through verse 15, if you'd like to follow with me as I read. Says, beware, lest any one cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him, who is the head of all principality and power. In Him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them and pit. I've entitled the message, Beware, or You Will Be Cheated. And that is really what you have in this text today. You have a warning, and that warning is uh, for you to uh, be careful because there are some who would try to take away that which you have in Christ. It's really a quite incredible passage, verses uh, nine through verse fifteen, really describe of the great position we have in Christ. Those um, those aspects that are being uh, taken one step at a time all the way through, are uh, really speaking about the fact that in Christ Jesus you have everything. And so adding to it or or taking away from it would distract, detract from what you actually have in Christ, the riches and the treasure that are ours in Christ Jesus. So you can't miss that as, as we look at this together. And so beware lest you be cheated. And so from the text this morning... Uh, it's my desire, as far as my proposition goes, to communicate to you, our need as believers, to guard against heresy concerning the deity of Christ or the work of Christ, his finished work of salvation. And so, uh, if you uh, want it in a negative, that would be the way I would put it. If I would just spin it into a positive, I would put it this way. Um, rest in the finished work of Christ, who has accomplished everything salvation. That really is what this text is saying. The Apostle Paul is giving encouragement and warning to the believers at Colossae not to allow anyone to take away from them the greatness of their salvation by somehow adding to them that uh, some list of duties to do or some things that they think they should know other than what they have known, which is Christ Jesus, the hope of glory. And so as we look at the text and kind of unpack uh, this first part of it this morning, um, you'll see the warning, it's clear, it's right out of the uh, very start of it. Beware, uh, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty the seat. All right, so you see the warning, it's clearly given right at the start. And, and so this is the mandate uh, that I um, just stated as the proposition and it's laying squarely upon us this responsibility of, of taking heed, of being careful, of being warned. beware. Really, the word beware has the idea of, of keep your eyes on. Watch out for it. Uh, don't let um, it, something catch your eye away from uh, and detract from the glory of Christ. And so um, that, that's the mandate. So following that mandate, the Holy Spirit-inspired texts give several explanations about why we can rest in Christ, why we can just be settled and and uh, and and at peace with what Christ has done. And so, in doing so, uh, and that's really what we'll uh, try to uh, take up next week are the five um, powerful reasons. Uh, I think that would be what you received by via email if you did five powerful reasons. Uh, that are given to us in this text that we have as possessions of God's children in Christ Jesus. So, number one, in Christ is the fullness of deity. So, you are complete in him. That's the point. And that's what it says, actually, directly in the text. And so, in Christ is the fullness of the Godhead, and you are complete in him. Secondly, in Christ is the fullness of authority, following being complete in him, you see, that it says that he is the head of all principalities, of all powers. Uh, he, is, um, he stands head and shoulders of all of these. So all lesser deities are submissive to him, are subordinate to him. So why would you look elsewhere? Why would you turn away your attention from Christ to something other than that, which is what was going on in Colossae? Thirdly, in Christ is the fullness of the Spirit. And we'll develop this, but when it talks about uh, being circumcised with a circumcision, made without hands, it's speaking really about the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit who comes in our life as a believer and ultimately continues to do that work. So we'll develop that. But the the point is that you are sanctified in Him. Uh, Fourth, uh, in Christ is the fullness of life. Um, You are raised with Him. It talks about, uses baptism as a metaphor, being buried with him, but then also being raised to life again with him. And so in Christ we are alive. And that is pictured in um, believer's baptism as it is in this text here. And then finally, and certainly not um, in any way less than the others, that it's in Christ is the fullness of forgiveness. The, The latter part, the last few verses of this text that talk about the fact that Christ was forgiven all of our trespasses, uh, that he has taken them all out of the way, that he's nailed them to his cross. Uh, these are glorious statements uh, as believers that we can just uh, take our, our our any of our anxieties or our cares or our frustrations or our failures and just come to the cross and see that it's all been nailed there. It's settled. It's a done deal. And we cannot add to, nor in any way, um, uh, have uh, an effect of doing anything beyond what Christ has already done for our salvation. All right, so we're going to take a little time again, uh, just sketching the background so that we're all clear on where this head is, is headed and how, how this text is flowing, and then just work through verse 8 today. It might be shorter, but I'm not going to promise anything. All right, so uh, first... As as we just kind of think of the text, as I mentioned uh, last week, uh, this uh, is really kind of the beginning of a new section. And actually, beginning in verse 4 of chapter 2, all the way through verse 6 of chapter 4, is uh, what we would um, link together as one complete section. It's the main body of uh, this epistle to the Colossians. Uh, The previous section was Paul uh, describing his ministry and in particular, why he was in jail, why he was suffering for the name of Christ. And so uh, that was the previous section. And so as we come in here, now he is really addressing uh, somewhat of what the letter was written for in the first place. Epaphras, who was their pastor, had come to him and expressed concern about uh, a heresy that was moving in the area. And so not only in this church in Colossae, but also the church in Laodicea and Pergia which were a triad of cities in that region, uh, there was a, a heresy that was kind of moving in. And this part of the epistle really is addressing that heresy. There isn't a lot, as I said last week, outside of this epistle. So this section really kind of helps us to understand what that heresy was about. And you'll notice uh, that at times it sounds Jewish, and at other times it sounds uh, Greek. And that really is what it was. It was some kind of, uh, sect of people, um, that were drawing from the culture around them and the diaspora. And, uh, and so some had thought that it was an incipient form of Gnosticism. It might be. Um, but whatever it was, it included some aspects of Greek, um, uh, knowledge and, and worship and also some aspects of Jewish, uh, or Judaism. And so, uh, that's the general area of the letter that we find ourselves in, and the first few verses we looked at last week, verses four through seven, and uh, that too had a warning that we wouldn't be caught with persuasive language or words that would um, that would draw us away from Christ. And here, in the second part of it, uh, we have uh, the second warning, which we already read: uh, Beware, uh, lest someone would take you away or cheat you. Um, through deceptive uh, means, one or another, okay? So, either philosophies or deceitful lies, uh, whatever that would be. And so, as you uh, look at this text, you see uh, this is a part of that. And then the last section of this warning will be verses 16 through 23, which will actually deal with the actual works of those religious um, uh, deviancies, uh, what they were trying to force upon the people at like Colossae to be, become spiritual, if you would. And so that's kind of the, the flow of the text. Uh, that's what's going on. And, uh, so we'll take some time and look at this. As I thought of introducing, uh, what's going on in the text, uh, this probably is not the best introduction. Um, but nevertheless, it's where my mind went. And it might kind of reveal how, uh, my mind works, which may alarm some of you. Um, but anyway, uh, I thought of, as, as as I was a young man, ch- child, adolescent age, we used to play King of the Hill all the time. That was one of the games, uh, of course, if you live in northern Wisconsin, uh, with large snowbanks uh, during recess, that was um, kind of a fun game to play. And so all our buddies and classmates would go out, and you would fight for that top position uh, to be at the top of the hill. Our family home actually uh, had a river running through the property, and, uh, and so in the summertime, we played a similar game that was King of the Raft. And, uh, and so we had a raft that was in the middle of the river, uh, and uh, we would work uh, hard to be the person on top of the raft, and everybody, of course, was against you. Uh, the game is simple enough. The person at the top, whether the top of the raft or the top of the hill or wherever have you, uh, was the king, and everyone else was against the king, and everyone was trying to dethrone king the king. Generally speaking, no one remained king very long because it was you against everyone else uh, and there were a lot of rivals. So um, you couldn't really enjoy that position very long. In the text, we're instructed to be on guard because some would like to remove us from our present position of peace and safety in Christ Jesus. So last week, in verses four through seven, we were told to watch out for persuasive speech—someone um, who would sound like they have all of the answers and would lead us astray. And here in this text, um, uh, or, or the admonition from that, was to deepen your knowledge of Christ, deepen your roots right in Christ, build up uh, your heritage uh, in Christ. And so in today's text. Believers are warned of their need to beware lest they be cheated. Which is followed by, um, really, uh, avenues um, of which their rivals would seek to dethrone the child of God. Right? So, so, you have this position in Christ Jesus. That position is secure because of what God has done. And yet, we are to beware because some would try to dethrone Christ in our life, and try to set up other gods, if you would, multiple gods. And our heart gravitates toward that. We have to all admit um, that we're, we're, we, our heart is like an idol factory. You know, It constantly is, is uh, producing other desires and things that we would worship or follow. And so um, it's not that the problem is just out there. The problem is inside of us. And so in this text, we're encouraged. And this time, not because of cunning arguments or persuasive words, but other tactical ways are disguised with a mixture of both Jewish and pagan uh, ideas. Ultimately, the warning is referring to what we would call syncretism. Uh, It's not ultimately um, attacking Christ; it's adding to what Christ has done, or if you would adding cultural aspects, or other religious aspects into Christianity, and so it's syncretism. Syncretism is the blending, or the merging, or the amalgamation of different religious beliefs and practices, or other world views. Now, we're going to spend some extra time in the introduction working through this warning, and, and what was going on in Colossae, because it is, is, I think it's a relevant concern. I think that's always something that, as a church, uh, that as Christianity at large, there is constantly this battle that we have to protect the the gospel of Christ from uh, the the worldviews that are around us being added to or brought into it, or somehow change what we have. And so, the old adage, if you would, you can if you can't beat them, join them is one that our adversary uses effectively, right? Uh, He knows he cannot dethrone Christ. He knows that he cannot pry you out of God's hands, right? John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30, right? That passage uh, where it speaks specifically, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, they follow me, I give to them eternal life, and no one will be able to pluck them out of my hands. And my Father, who is greater than all, um, has, has us in his hands as well. And so you can go to that text. And so nothing can pull you away if you know Christ is your Savior. Nothing can take away that which you have in Christ. But Satan would love to take away the joy and the peace and the rest that you have in knowing Christ Jesus. And so um, he would love to mix or divert our faith and and our affections by mixing and merging truth with error. If this does not work, he seeks to sidetrack the Christian um, from his present position of grace and incrementally adding or attaching um, things that take away from the finished work of Christ. This is the warning that the Apostle Paul is giving to us, and it's one that we, we too need to take heed. This isn't just something in Colossae. This is something in our culture. This is something that we have to be be careful of. And I would love for you all to be here so that I could be interacting with you on because This would be a great place to talk about how have uh, different churches, how is our culture trying to force us into um, adding to the Christian message that which is not true of what it is. And so um, as we break down verse 8, we find three important aspects of this warning. And so in verse 8, There are three different aspects of the warning. The first detail, if you would, is the effect or the why um, of this warning. Why? Because you'll be cheated. Well, what does that mean? We'll look at that in a little bit. The second effect uh, or aspect is the means, that is the how. So you have the why, you'll be cheated. The how is one will be um, cheated through philosophy or empty deceit. And then thirdly, or the final detail includes the activity, how that all happens, um, specifically, if you would, or the what um, in specific, according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world. And so you kind of see this worked out in verse 8. And so if you would follow with me, uh, we'll walk through those. So the first aspect, um, or the first uh, effect, if you would, is the why, the warning, you Will be cheated. You will be cheated. The Greek word translated cheated means to take you captive as part of the spoils of war, if you would. It was used in warfare of taking people hostage and then later selling them as slaves, which is a fitting application to what the text is saying. You're free in Christ. You you have no work that you have to do, right? In Christ Jesus, we saved and secure based upon the work of Christ himself and him alone. And anything other than that would be slavery. Anything other than that would, would put us in bondage to something. And so that's the idea of this, of, of being taken hostage and then being sold as a slave, thus using them as booty. The warning, then, is to Christians who, have, who are free in Christ, to be on the lookout, to be watchful for those who want to enslave you, to take away your freedom. This language used elsewhere uh, of the same thing that false teachers often do. But let me just say this, that, uh, you know, growing up, uh, I uh, was growing up in a, in a, in a teaching and a thought that I was somehow saved by my works. That, uh, yes, Jesus died. Yes, he rose from the grave. Yes, um, he was born of the Virgin Mary. A lot of the truths that we would affirm as Christians. And yet, um, I had to do certain things. To jump through hoops, if you would. To act a certain way. To live out certain things. And this is not what the scripture teaches. For by grace, good and saved faith. And that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Salvation is never a work of man. I don't contribute to my salvation. We serve because we love. We don't serve so that we get. We don't have to appease God. We don't have to somehow satisfy him um, for what we have done wrong um, or for how we have disobeyed. God has been appeased, propitiated in Christ. And we uh, cannot change um, that aspect at all. So service is a matter, really, of love and worship, not a matter of appeasing or changing God's mind about us in any way. As we move on, then, uh, you know, we look at this, and we find elsewhere in the Scriptures where false teachers tried to really take advantage of people under their tutelage. So in Matthew 23, verse 15, Jesus warned. uh, He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you're hypocrites! For you travel, land, and sea to win one proselyte. And when he is one, you make him twice as much the son of hell as yourselves. They aren't helped by them. They, they go through all kinds of work to really um, take advantage of those who they have tried to go out and reach. In Galatians chapter 6, and this really has a, a direct connection to what's going on here. In Galatians 6, verses 13 through 15, it says... For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. So what is their motive? That they can boast in these converts that they have brought uh, to Christ by having them circumcised. But God forbid, Paul finishes, that I should boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is is uh, has been crucified to me and I to the world. For Christ Jesus, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And similarly, in Second in Timothy chapter three, verses six and seven, there the apostle writes for of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loading down with, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning, and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Again, the motive is what we're talking about. The motive. Leading away captive. Stealing away. Bringing into slavery. This is what we're warned about. And so while the reason may not always be clear on the front end. The effect or result will always be that you have given up your liberty and freedom and replaced it somehow with obligatory service or works based upon religious preferences or religious um, uh, do's, uh, do or don't list. We must always be on guard not to add anything to the finished work of Christ or um, or to take away from the finished work of Christ. To add works to faith will lead you back into bondage and captivity and uh, and, and away from uh, the true peace that comes with knowing Christ. The second detail is the how. How will you be cheated? Um, it says in this text, through philosophy and empty deceit. Now, that's interesting statement, uh, philosophy here. Uh, These descriptions, if you would, actually give insight into the false teaching uh, that was a part of what was going on in Colossae. Um, And so uh, it reveals both an element of Judaism and it reveals an element of paganism. The word philosophy is not equivalent to how we would use it in our culture today. Um, Certainly not the same as what we use in modern English. The word literally means to love wisdom. Certainly nothing wrong with that. Um, but in the context here, it's clear uh, that the philosophy is connected to uh, the Greco-Roman culture. And in this case, uh, the lesser deities that are part of that. And we'll talk through that in a little bit. And so, uh, so here, uh, the reference is to pagan ideas or theories about God or religious life. The danger at hand was that these false pagan practices or pagan ideas about God and life were somehow being added to or modifying uh, what they have received in Christ Jesus. And so it was combining Greek thought, if you would, with Christian thought. There you have the syncretism that I was talking about earlier. Merging the two, which in the end would dethrone Christ, and would make him a lesser deity, or at least make his work on the cross incapable of complete salvation. This will be addressed later, but you can certainly understand the concern and why the Apostle Paul was writing here. It's no different today, I think, than when Bible commenters, you you hear this sometimes, um, use contemporary cultural arguments. To reason away from what the Scripture clearly teaches, they'll say, "Certainly, God could not have meant this because um, look at how our culture has arrived. Look at how we have 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 a r- risen up to this uh, this great mind, right?" And so uh, it's the same when this happens, when when the cultural shifts and society has shifted to make it fit a contemporary narrative. No, we can't do that. Here, it's especially addressing those pagan ideas or pagan philosophies that would reduce Christ, dethroning him from who he is as a person, making him into a lesser deity, just one of many emanations of deity or of divine beings. Um, And so based upon the arguments that follow, it must have reduced Christ to being just like the local deities of the Greco-Roman culture. Smaller, lesser deities. Which is why Paul argues in the next verse of the fullness of the Godhead bodily it's embodied in Christ Jesus. He is not a lesser deity, nor is he subordinate to any other deity. He is God of very gods. And thus, um, to not to be uh, looked at, or others not to be looked at as rivals to him. And so this would mean that That his power and his sacrifice, if he was limited, would be limited. Um, It may not be any different when people argue today that say that, "Well, Jesus was just a he was just a good man. He was just a good teacher. He wasn't really God, right?" It's not much different today. And so, the the second way, or the how, if you would. Of how people were deceived, is by empty deceit, the text says. And that follows, um, you know, and the text means just that. Those who, with ill motives, are intentionally trying to lead you astray. The connection here uh, to empty deceit um, is directly connected in the text to the traditions of men, which suggests it's related to the Jewish side of the heresy, Uh, that was sweeping in. The Apostle uses this sort of argument elsewhere in the New Testament, um, but especially in the pastoral officials. Note these verses. In Titus chapter 3 and verse 9, Paul writes there, but avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. (laughs) In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 20 and 21, O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge by professing um, it. some have strayed away from the faith. And then in 2 Timothy 2, verses 16 through 18, But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. And their message will spread like cancer. Imeneus and Philatus uh, are of this sort who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. So here, uh, this passage, in directing our thoughts of being careful for that which would be these endless dialogues about law-keeping, that would somehow drag you away from the finished work of Christ Jesus. Now that is what they're being warned against. Here. All of this explains the means by which some will come and attempt to pry the believer away from the peace and the safety and the security of the gospel. And so I'm thinking of this. I couldn't help but thinking of the hymn that we sing. It's a newer hymn. Um, but it's, All I Have is Christ. Those words are profound but they come back to that chorus constantly. All I have is Christ, Jesus is my life. Let me read uh, the words of, or the text of that hymn. I once was lost in darkness, I yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy in life had only led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if I, you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. But as I ran my hell-bound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. And I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all I know is grace. Now, Lord, I would be yours alone and live so all might see the strength that followed your commands could never come from me. Oh, Father, use my ransom life any way you choose and let my song forever be. My only boast is you. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus is my life. We must guard against that which threatens the security in Christ, specifically human wisdom and empty deceit that the world offers as a replacement for the finished work of Christ. This is a warfare that's ongoing. And you see this spelled out in Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. There, uh, the apostle writes, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down, what? Arguments. And every high thing that exalts itself... Against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And so we come to the last part of this opening verse, the final detail that includes the activity, the what. Uh, we've already alluded to these, but it says, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world. So here we see the different aspects of the heresy again. You see these Jewish elements and these Greek or Greco-Roman elements that are being combined into and adding to what Christ has done. And, uh, and so uh, first, uh, as a part of the Jewish element, it was according to the traditions of men. And second, as to the Greek element, according to the basic principles of the world. And we don't have to develop these very much, they'll be developed as we get into the latter part of this text, uh, you'll find there um, that it begins to talk about circumcision and um, all of the other aspects of the Jewish element that um, that were coming into the church, adding to um, the salvation that was there by faith through Christ alone. And so as part of that Jewish element, it fits with the, um, the circumcision and the law-keeping uh, that were in view. Not that there weren't traditions and things that were a part of the Greco-Roman culture. We certainly could develop that point, too. Um, but primarily speaking, this kind of alludes to uh, that Jewish element that was there. And then second, as to the Greek element, according to the basic principles of the world. What does that mean? Well, uh, it's hard to, to know for certain. There's different contexts, but the Greeks often talked about fundamental principles and and with that, they always ascribed them to lesser deities, and so the Greeks had broken down the elemental principles of the world into separate categories, earth, air, wind, if you would, and uh, water and fire. And so each, in essence, um, of these were like rival deities, and each had different locales, and each had stronger positions in different places, all of these uh, were attributed ultimately to lesser gods, lesser deities that governed in those places. And the point here is that uh, they were trying to reduce Christ to a lesser deity, uh, to one who would not be um, able to handle these rivals. And so we have to appease them all. And so you hear uh, in this text a very clear, a very um, uh, hopeful aspect uh, as not to uh, be moved away from the finished work of Christ, not to allow uh, the the work of some uh, that are do- seeking to destroy them. Beware, lest you be carried off, lest you be taken away, lest you um, be 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 stripped of the peace and the security and the safety. And so uh, with that. We have the five powerful reasons. And with that, we've come to a conclusion for today. All right, I won't uh, won't keep you, but that was next week, and there'll be a struggle to get through all of that text uh, next week. But again, let me just repeat those five powerful reasons to be on guard. And the areas that they cover, number one, in Christ, is the fullness of deity. You are complete you're connected he is the head and you see this in the text um, the word head is the Greek word "kephale." he is the head and next to that um, it, it, uh, it says you are complete in him that is as part of his body uh, you are connected uh, to him and it, uh, as a part of his body you are complete in him second the second powerful reason is in Christ is the fullness of authority and you see in the text again it says that he is superior to or over all of these lesser authorities. And, uh, and it specifically uses those two words, RK and, um, oh man, the word just gone, but two words that speak of exousia, there it is, uh, that speak of authority. It's not talking about his power in the sense of his latent ability. Certainly that's there as the fullness of God. But it's speaking about his authority. Christ is supreme. He is over all. Think of Romans chapter 8 where it says who can bring a charge against God's elect? Right? Who? There is no authority who can come and charge you with any degree of success because Christ has died and has risen. Right? It It is fixed upon him. Right. So thirdly, then, is in Christ is the fullness of the spirit. Um, You are sanctified in him. And so when it speaks about circumcision, circumcision um, we'll talk about later was the putting off of the flesh. If you think of it that way, and certainly here it's speaking of of coming uh, as as a believer and knowing Christ and the Holy Spirit now circumcising your heart the circumcision made without hands, uh, you are sanctified in him. The fourth powerful reason in Christ is the fullness of life. You are alive in him. You've been given spiritual life in Christ Jesus. And in him you live and you are raised together with him. His death was your death. His resurrection is your resurrection. And finally, in Christ is the fullness of forgiveness and the language there is amazing uh, which we will take time to develop a lot here but the warning is clear beware it's so easy Uh, not again just from um, from outside threat but in our own heart how often um, we think that we have to somehow um, appease God we have to make it up when we do wrong. Uh, I know, um, in the background that I have, that was certainly a part of what um, was was a part of the thinking which I grew up in. But it's true in all of our lives. When we sin and we ask God for forgiveness, we still think that we're in the doghouse. We still think that well, we have to we have to uh, have a, a, a long obedience before we can somehow. Um, be right with him again. It's not true. In Christ Jesus, you have been fully forgiven. All of your sins, He took them out of the way, nailed them to the cross. These words are words of encouragement for us as believers, and and we can't allow our own heart nor outside threat to steal away um, what we have in Christ Jesus by attaching something to it uh, that certainly um, would be a detraction from the authority from the person and the work of Christ well with that I have uh, Pastor Josh come and leave us in a closing hymn I hope that you can sing along at home uh, with us here so Pastor Josh